0: Oscar Out Loud is a weekly podcast about San Francisco real estate from the Jackson Fuller team, San Francisco realtors since 2002. Show notes with links are at jacksonfuller.com. Our guest for this episode is a big guy. In addition to being six foot Six inches or some other overly tall height. He's a very big guy as the Chief Executive Officer of the San Francisco Association of Realtors. He's been awarded the prestigious William Magel Award from the National Association of Realtors, recognizing a lifetime of outstanding leadership and contributions to the real estate industry. He's an innovator, a leader, and also a good friend. I'm thrilled to introduce Walt Bukowski as this episode's special guest.
1: Hi, Walt. Good
0: morning, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So you've been here in San Francisco for six years now.
1: I can't believe it It has been six years.
0: Six years. Time flies when you're having a great time, right? (laughs) Yep. You've done association work at the state uh, and for other associations in Michigan, Detroit, uh, Southern California, San Diego, New Jersey. So you've lived a lot of places. When you moved to San Francisco, what was the strangest, most unexpected thing about living here?
1: The most unexpected, I've been, I have relatives who live here, so I've been coming out to San Francisco for 20 years, uh, for vacations, but mostly staying out in the suburbs. Uh, the most amazing thing to me was the, how the traffic has grown and getting round during rush hour. You know, I thought, well, will live out by the airport and be able to just have a quick trip in every morning. Ha! Found out that, uh, that quick trip could, if you leave an hour later, the quick trip could take uh, an hour and a half instead of 20 minutes. So uh, that was the most amazing thing.
0: Traffic hurts. Tra- traffic <laughs> traffic hurts.
1: Do you have a favorite San Francisco neighborhood? Favorite San Francisco neighborhood? You know, I, I don't know if I have a, a true favorite. I like so many of them. I mean, there's so many, every neighborhood has a different character. I found that I really love the North Beach area because I like going to the restaurants and I like the, the things there. But I also found out with, the re, with where our offices is, I spend a lot of time in the Hayes Valley area, and I found with the redevelopment of Hayes Valley and what's going on, it has become another micro-community within San Francisco. There is so much to do, and the streets are packed. And between the symphony, the ballet, uh, and everything going on, it's a very vibrant neighborhood, a lot of activity. Even at night, which is one of my favorite things about
0: Hayes Valley because there are so many neighborhoods in this town where like 6 o'clock comes and that's it. Hayes Valley, it and is when, I, when I leave here,
1: <laughs> when, I, when I leave here, you know, if I leave at 6 o'clock or if I leave at 5 o'clock, uh, the streets are really starting to come alive. There's some restaurants don't even open till 5 o'clock now in Hayes Valley. Maranchino's one. This, my favorite sushi place used to go to. Now doesn't open until 5 o'clock. And then when the symphony and uh, ballet and things are going on, The uh, restaurants and the activity of the people and the sheer volume is just amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. Just
0: amazing. So what's favorite restaurant? I heard sushi. What's the favorite sushi spot? Well,
1: I uh, I like to go to Hakkasan, frankly, which is one of my favorite favorite, favorite places around. I like China Live. Um, Still love going to the Water Bar, one of my favorite uh, spots to go to. Wait, Uh, wait, wait. Let's make this a a shorter answer. Is there a restaurant in San Francisco you don't like? (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, uh, yeah, probably a couple, but it, just, it doesn't have to do with food. It has to do with the, the weight and cost sometimes, you know, sometimes I think that, uh, when I can, when I can go to the store, I'm, I'm a big cooker. You <laughs> are, uh, you're an excellent cook. So, so my big thing is when I, when I can go out and make a four person dinner, with steaks and lobsters for under 40 bucks, I go to a restaurant, and each platter is 100. <laughs> it, uh, it's uh, the ambiance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, let's, I'll turn the stereo on, okay? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, since you've been back in, in San Francisco for the last six years as our CEO of the San Francisco Association of Realtors, who is the most interesting person you've met or worked with in San Francisco?
1: Um, I would have, to, and, and this is going to sound patronizing maybe. But the most interesting person I worked with was our mayor that passed away. Is Ed Lee. And one of the things that made him most interesting is that I got to uh, – I spent eight hours in a golf cart with Ed, you know, playing, playing a very bad round of golf. My but, you. But And know, it we, wasn't like
0: you were trying to play a bad round of golf. No, well, right? I just am a bad
1: player. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but I'm worse, so you've, we, always, you've got that. You've but, always got that. We, but Ed and I, you know, it, it was so funny because he, he was a down-to-earth person uh, that we could sit and talk. We didn't talk just about real estate, talked about a lot of things, but then we would meet for a lot of the real estate related issues that are going on and be very, I mean, he was on it. And that guy for being a bureaucrat who didn't really want to be mayor, I think he got more things started and got us going in a direction that San Francisco needed very badly. So I think it was the most interesting guy I've met here. Uh, there's been others, uh, sitting in, uh, when I traveled to China with the, uh, Mayor's Contingent, and I got to sit in the restaurant and smoke a cigar with Rose Pack. That was also a a very interesting... Once-in-a-lifetime moment. Yeah, that was very interesting. Uh, So, yeah, there's been a lot of different people, a lot of different uh, groups that we've gotten involved in that I've really enjoyed. So
0: Awesome. Those are some incredible San Francisco people. I'd agree. So, if you could change any law about real estate in San Francisco that affects homeowners, home buyers,
1: home sellers, just Boom what would it be? One law? <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that question. One law, there, there, there's so much. What really needs done, I mean, the the laws on rent control are onerous. The rent board itself is uh, difficult. The thing that really needs done in this city is a total revamp of the planning process. And uh, using CEQA by many of these parties to just put nonsense lawsuits. They tried to get a laundromat registered as a historic place. Oh, it's I, a laundromat. It, it, what, it, what
0: about the Aribata repair shop that also became, you know, before that, right? I mean...
1: Know, unless unless, <laughs> they were, unless they were there in 1855 and working on the first Model Ts, and there's still a couple of them sitting there. You know, it, it, I love keeping an ambiance of neighborhoods, but there comes a point when you say... How much ambiance is the auto shop and the the laundromat putting out, especially when the guy at the laundromat was putting up all affordable housing, all affordable, and they stopped them. Did the homes have end-unit laundry? Uh, Yeah, well, I think everybody had washer and dryers there, so they didn't need to have, maybe, I don't know. So that process needs to change, and that has to happen for San Francisco. But on any one law policy, It's a whole myriad. It's a combination of things that and I can cite several things that are going on right now. Well, I think that's actually kind of a great
0: pivot to where I wanted to go next and and ask you about, which is as the chief executive officer of the San Francisco Association of Realtors, could you kind of explain like what does an association of realtors do?
1: So the association is there's two main things that we do. The first one is that we look after all the realtors and we look after... Is every, all realtors are independent contractors. They have their own businesses. And what we do is make sure that everybody has the right information. We make sure that everybody is provided uh, an opportunity for education. The other thing that's our critical service is the multiple listing service. Uh, we run that and, and provide a lot of uh, services through the MLS that a small broker of two people might not be able to buy themselves that a broker of a hundred could do, but we provide these services and do the training. So everybody has a good starting point and can provide quality service to the consumer and make sure the consumer is getting the best information possible. The next thing that we do is government and politics. Government and politics is, I mean, if real estate's your profession, politics has to be your business. Because there's not – no person's life, liberty, or pursuit of happiness is safe as long as the board of supervisors is meeting.
0: Tell me how you really feel there.
1: In <laughs> propositions like right now, there's one, one that we're in litigation on.
0: We haven't even, okay, which one?
1: Uh, well, the one yeah. we're in litigation on says that any transaction of three or more units – uh, before the transaction can close, a nonprofit must be given the right to buy that property. Stopping anybody's ability to, to close, stop a transaction in the middle. And who knows what that would be? And and what's a nonprofit? We run a nonprofit, we have a foundation. I could be stopping transactions. That one, and then the new one that's just coming out, it'll be a hearing on March 21st when you all the realtors at this meeting, it is a proposal to change the Peskin
0: ordinance. Please, to change oh, the demolition to, laws. To make it <clears throat> illegal to remodel your home in San Francisco and essentially force everything to discretionary review. And we've already discussed, you had just mentioned, planning in this town it, it, takes decades as it is to get
1: something done. Do you realize that if I buy a lot right now to build on, it's going to be five years, probably, before I get a shovel in the ground. That's, that's optimistic. That's five years of carrying cost. It's five years of paying the interest. That's five years of uh, attorneys to, to go down to gra- planning yeah, and try fi- and get fi- something fi- done. Exactly. Fixing the graffiti that everybody puts on and throwing out the encampments. Five years. Now you want to put the average homeowner that wants to remodel their kitchen through the entire planning process, and you want to allow the neighbors to comment on it. And he says, well, this is to make sure that people don't tear down properties and build mini mansions. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen any mini mansions being built in San Francisco.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, but even more so, it's, yes, there are some bad actors. You know, there have been some developers who buy properties, pull permits, and do a whole lot more than what the permit says. But, like, why we're punishing all of the regular homeowners of San Francisco who are not the bad actors, who are, you know, don't have even the resources or means, if they want to do, to take their kitchen remodel and turn it into a six-bedroom house. It's just ridiculous. And, you know... We're punishing people who haven't done anything wrong to try and make up for a couple bad actors, and I'm not trying to minimize that or you know poo-poo like the historic uh, Neutra House in Twin Peaks that that got um, you
1: know torn down. But come on. Well, you know what? If if there are people, they know who the bad actors are. Go after those bad actors, and frankly, put put five more people on the inspections. I have one case where I know of the people started doing a renovation next door. they are dug digging underneath to put a garage in, did not adequately support the wall next door, had no plans to do it. And the people's property next door started caving in. All their doors suddenly got out of square. And you know what? That homeowner went in and was trying to get the couldn't get him to stop it. Finally, they went through and they actually she tried to put restraining orders from them selling the property then after it was done, and they still allowed them to sell it. And oh, they'd flagged the property, but they didn't do anything. So now they're gonna pass another law that they're not gonna do anything for anyway. You know, and you know this. How many as accessory dwelling units have been built since they passed the law?
0: Their last I heard, there was a backlog of over 900 in planning. 900, backlog, and right? Planning. And the mayor made this a priority. Big deal of speech six months or so ago, yep. and no one can give me an update on how many are still
1: in the backlog,
0: right? It, I'm going to bet like it, maybe it's down to 895. It, but
1: it, you know, so here's a here's a perfect way: 895 people that could get housing inexpensively, use something, and it could help the homeowners. In, oh no, we have to right. go through. Now we want to take just a renovation of a kitchen through planning, too. They'll have, they'll have microwaves that'll take me to the moon before. I think this discussion of eight accessory dwelling units,
0: ADUs, is, is a great point. I mean, you know, over a year and a half ago, two years ago, I don't remember, I think it started in District 8 with Scott Wiener, right? right. right. Um, a couple of years ago to try and create more housing and neighborhoods and areas where it's traditionally not possible because of you know height density all these other issues and so 900 people across the city have come forward and said hey i want to try and help solve the housing problem by putting an adu in my house and what is the city planning's department response we'll get back to you we'll get back
1: maybe three years from now right i mean then the other thing (laughs) is, is you know there are bad actors as landlord developers there's also bad actors as tenants like the tenants, most tenants are great.
0: Most landlords are great. You know the
1: distribution either end. You've got bad actors. You have bad sides. actors, but you know what? To get a bad actor tenant out, that I have a perfect example of people have been renting the property. They didn't rent it to this guy. He came in and started living with his girlfriend. They broke up. The girlfriend left. He stayed. They can't get him out. Um, he smokes every day to the point where all the smoke is coming up into their property. They had a blue tape off, cracks in their wall, because, you know, just where the door frames are, so they not come in. Didn't pay for his garbage removal. They have to pay for it. But yet, if they try to get him out, it's going to cost them over $40,000. They don't have that money. So where is the rights for the private property owner? Where is the rights? That, so that's what we try to do as the Association of Realtors, too, because no other group, nobody looks after the rights to the private property owners except the realtors. And that is something that everybody, all consumers, should understand that what we're doing is if you can't sell your house and it affects your ability to live freely in your property, it's going to affect our ability to list it and sell it. And so we're concerned as you are, and we're the only ones that represent a consumer. So our listeners probably don't know this,
0: but you're actually a second generation association executive. Uh, Your dad was uh, an AE for a realtor association back in Ohio, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. So this is like in the, the family blood almost. How has it changed or not changed over
1: the years? Oh, geez. How has real estate changed over the years? You know, I remember my dad and I driving down the street and my dad yelling out an expletive and said, they lost it. And I said, what's that? And the sign was a Century 21 sign in the yard. And my dad saying, NAR has lost it. They had the franchise. Every real estate sign should have said, Realtor, Fuller Realty. Realtor, Bukowski Realty. They had the first franchise for training, for education, for providing services, and they didn't use it. They let it open up. And that was his feeling. On that was the start of the first franchises coming out. And now, if you look at it, sometimes the association of realtors is actually accused of, "Oh no, you're providing too many services that are competing with what the brokers are providing." My answer to that has always been, "If we're providing it as part of your dues and fees, use your money to do something different. Differentiate yourself in some other way other than the same old ways that people do. Why? Why do brokers build their own CRMs, customer relation management, when there's?" I can name 10 off the top of my head. I don't know how many you can name. And and, and you know what? And they always, something doesn't work, or something's not happy, or I can't get all my agents to use that. Well, you know why? Because typically they don't provide everything that every agent needs. And we have three of them right now that are part of your dues. You know, for less than... Less than $1,200 a year is your MLS and association fees. I mean, I know people that pay more than $1,200 a year for coffee or a month. In this <laughs> so, town. <you> know, <laughs> a month. So, so yeah, so for National Association Realtors has been around for 104 years. For 54 of those years, there's been a Bukowski running a, a local board of realtors. So that, that's one of the biggest changes I remember seeing. The other thing is when I was in Ohio running a local association in 1979, I used to have to distribute twenty five hundred MLS books every two weeks, and then pick them up. And there wasn't really paper recycling back then. And uh, if God bless it, that MLS book wasn't there at that time. Or if somebody, an old realtor, gave an old MLS book to a consumer, I got calls. Oh my God, I saw Ray Dick at the restaurant giving his MLS book to a to a consumer. I saw him showing properties. that, You know. And then I remember a broker came to me, my largest broker in Ohio. We were putting in doing the first computerization in 1981 in, uh, in Ohio, in Toledo, Ohio. And the biggest broker came to me and said, I don't want this to happen, but if we put computers in, I'll have more than anybody. <laughs> Cover then, all your bases. <laughs> and then the, the other the other one was a debate at the National I was on the National Association of Realtors MLS Policy Committee for six years. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean congratulations. Uh, yeah, that was and that was when they were talking about downloading MLS data. And a broker, a large broker, had his own computer and he wanted to download all the MLS data and then use his members, allow them to use their own systems. So the word was that no, the MLSs were not allowed to allow the brokers to download MLS data. If I mean, when you look at that, that was you know what? That was 1981. You know, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> not <laughs> uh, even 30 years.
0: Yeah, but uh, no, no, yeah, and no, then I guess the, you know, when the internet almost 40 years over 40 years yeah. when
1: the internet came around, it's like everybody had to have their own website. They had to have their own website. And my friend of mine, Saul Clyde, he always quote, and he said, "Yep, put up another billboard on a vacant highway. <laughs> you know, who's going to find that?" And then, oh, I got a great deal at a .org site. Good, good. How many people go to .org sites if you're not in the government <laughs> looking for something, or .edu if you're not in a university? It's like there was so many fits and starts and things going on and there. And there's, still, I mean, I think there's still people just like to create drama in real estate right now. We, we have certain pundits out there like to spin every story and uh, create a mountain out of a molehill and create more out of it. And we have the black swans of real estate. And what are, what are the biggest issues? So actually, as I'm sitting here at your desk
0: with you and we're talking about these things, I'm looking around at all of these awards. There's uh, the Inman Innovator from 2016, the William Magel from mm. 2017, 2018, uh, and uh, a bunch of other uh, on all of these other walls. You have quite a reputation for, for being a visionary and leader in the industry, particularly around technology. You actually had left Association Life for a while and did some things with third-party companies that were really, really innovative at the time. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of um, what you're most proud of in terms of, of innovations and awards over the years? Well,
1: a couple of things. When I first came to San Francisco, the biggest thing was off MLS properties. You know, the average time on the market was five days, six days, seven days. So properties were selling before uh, they'd even go into the MLS. And so if you gamed it right, you could not put it in there. And so everybody was trying to figure out, how do we hammer everybody? How do we hammer these bad realtors into putting their properties in? Well, how can we stop this? And instead, I said, wait a minute, this is how real estate's being sold. Real estate's being sold, they don't need, right now in San Francisco, they don't need a page of all the features of a home. What they want, they want to know five things. Bedrooms, bathrooms, price, neighborhood, and what's the commission's going to be paid out on the property? And a couple photos. That's all I need to be able to start the process. So we started real-time MLS that basically was five features. You could put a property in, and it immediately was blasted out to everybody who was participating in this network, which was about seventeen, 1,800, 2,000 people. And that's what we got the Innovator Award for. But it's one of those things that looking at something instead of saying, oh, we got to stop this, no, figure out how you can use it, how you can learn from it, and how you can provide a service from it. So we still provide that for the members, and that's still going on. You know, it, it's amazing to me. When I was with Point Two Technologies for a couple years, um, I had sixty-five thousand web pages, and I actually went out to MLSs and I built a database of one point four nine million listings uh, that I would syndicate out to seventy portals. Because at that time, there was no direct linkage to Zillow or Trulia. Homeowner Hippo was one of my favorite. And you know what? <laughs> you know I, they, they didn't last. They didn't last. <laughs> Shockingly Uh, enough, with a name uh, like that. But there was like, but then we, at that time, this is 12 years ago, I gave a list to every broker, or the MLS MLS that we had signed up, we're distributing their data, said, you have the option to opt out of any of this data, any of your data going to anybody. And we gave them a list to tell us who you want to opt it out of. Ten years later, NAR spends $22 million on Upstream that says, we're going to collect all your data and allow you to decide where you're going to send it. I'm like... Okay, that's like you know reinventing the. I don't know. It's just amazing to me. But we, we do not even have time to go down that tangent. <laughs> yeah, yeah a nother, that's a whole other. But the thing that's
0: a whole rabbit hole. Oh my god! Now,
1: if you want to talk about that, do you want me to tell you where I think things are going? So,
0: actually, I think that's a great question. Is um, you've been right about a lot of things over the decades in your careers in real estate, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, real estate and tech. There is a whole lot happening right now. There is a whole lot of money in our industry um, that has never been in our industry. So, yeah, where do you think things are going?
1: So, it, it's, I mean, you're right. There is more money pouring into real estate and real estate tech. And I really don't understand that's why all the money is going into real estate tech. Because you know what? The bottom line of real estate is why do you think there's realtors in Rotary and Lions Club in the community? Because that's where we get our contacts and things. You're not going to put your face up there. Like I said, it's a bulletin board on a vacant highway. You can, think you can put your face out there and go, hi, hi there, friends, I'm Walt Pekoski, and I'm going to get sell your property. You won't get a single call. It'll be like crickets. So the best thing about real estate is still going to groups, meeting people. We have one past president, knocks on doors, still goes up and knocks on doors in the neighborhoods and passes out his information. You know, And I think that's great. But the thing that's the most interesting now, and it's this thing they call the I-buyer. Everything has to be I now. You know, since iPad and iPod and Apple should be proud of that, I guess. I Apple. Um, (laughs) But, you know, know. there's no such thing as an iBuyer. What it is, is a change in the manner of real estate being bought or sold. I'll tell you a quick story. So when I was moving from New Jersey to Detroit, I had a house that was going to sell but I had to sell that house. Then I was going to buy another house. So I bought. I found the product I wanted to buy. We hadn't sold the other house yet. I had arranged for a bridge loan. Had to get that bridge loan, make sure that was in place, make sure that the, this other first was going to be in place. I had to sell the other property, get that money, pay off the bridge. Then, pay. How many people want to do that? How many people have time today to, to mess around with all that, or even the expertise, I guess? So what's happening is, and this is, again, an old service that's being restarted but being done the right way. So when you look at instant offers and Open Door and what Redfin is trying to launch and Knock and Blackstone, and you look at these companies, what they're doing is saying, I will buy your, come to me and we'll try to market your house for two months. But if it doesn't sell, we have a preset price that we will buy it off you for, or after a month or whatever the time period. Preset price, and of course that price is going to be discounted. But you know what? If I got a move and I'm expected to be reporting to another job in two weeks, and my kids are going to start school, and I got to get them all enrolled. Um, if I know that I can sell that property, even at a discount, I'm going to take that money and go buy something else right away. I'm going to do that and I'll take advantage of that. So I think the fundamental shift that is coming, and I don't know if it's going to happen in the cities as Boston and New York and San Francisco right away because it's just the sheer value of the property. But in places like Phoenix and Denver and uh, in Las Vegas and Florida, Even think of somebody passing away, and the family wants to dispose of the property. They go to one of these companies I just mentioned, they sell the property, they get the money, and it's done. No more waiting. Oh, we got to go to all the people and accept this offer. Oh, we have two offers, but this one wants us to do something, and one of the heirs. Just think of this simplification. So these companies then, because there's so much money pouring into real estate, have the ability to warehouse a lot of those properties. And what they're doing is they're, if they need some work done, they're fixing them, then they're putting them on the rental market. Well, guess what? If they can sell it right away, they probably will, but they don't have to. They'll put it in the rental market, and they'll get revenue coming in from it. And the revenue they're kept coming in from the property in the rental market is more than what the loan would have cost. They don't have loans because they got you know, they right. get $300 million from somewhere. So they don't have to. They, you know how many properties you can buy in Detroit area for $300 million? Detroit? Uh, okay, pretty much. Um, but the, the thing is then... They warehouse it, and then they rent them, and they start making revenue from that to be able to buy more property. Or the next phase, if, if it was me and I was Zillow, Barton, um, what I would what I, <laughs> what I would frankly do is set up a, a REIT, a real estate investment trust. And as part of the real estate investment trust, everybody says invest in real estate. Okay, I might not have to buy my own property. I invest in a real estate investment trust that has a certain fixed rate of return or a certain return coming back on it. Then that way, the company, whichever one of them has the REIT, is getting its money coming in through the REIT to buy more property. And then they also roll property out as they sell them or say, it's been rented so long, you go to the people, hey, you rented this for 10 years now or five years, we'll give it to you at this price because you've already paid off so much of it. I think there's a whole new way that property is going to be marketed. I think that in many cities... There's not going to be listings of properties anymore, which is an interesting thing, but there's going to be these companies, and I mentioned five of them, that will have the listing. They are still going to want some way to get it out there, and they'll probably use still use an MLS, won't have as many people in it, but every consumer is going to need a buyer's agent because I think with the agency laws, if they own all the properties, they're not going to be able to get around those. They're going to need, so where it used to be the story in real estate, you heard this Probably growing up and everything, list to last, list to last. Got to list property to be in there. Now there's not going to be listings, and I think it's going to be, how well can you represent that buyer? And the one thing about San Francisco that, and and I I love this, I've been to six different boards. They always said, oh, we're different here. And I'm like, I just like everybody else. um, San Francisco is different. (laughs) And the agents in San Francisco have to be much more educated. Just because of the laws, regulations, forms, and everything has to be filled out, that has to happen. So I think that real estate, and I think this is changing fast, I'll give it three years, that there's going to be in many areas, you're not going to see realtors listing property, they're going to need you for selling the property. But I think the the, the buyer, the sellers, and the homeowner is going to say, I need to move, I want to get my money, I'll give it to these guys. How's that for a radical change?
0: Very. Um, and it's interesting, because as we're talking about this, you know, kind of what strikes me is who wouldn't want that convenience first of all right just the certainty of you know having it done 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 even if it's not your aspirational price it's a price that you can work with it's a price you know it's well, a number you know well, and, and you there's just- certainty and there's there's absolute value and certainty but as i'm thinking about it you know from the industry perspective or my perspective and my you know my brokerages perspective it's kind of like it's the end of mom and pop real estate right mm-hmm. like i'm not going to go out and have a one-on-one conversation in a kitchen or a dining room or a living room with a homeowner who wants me to listen their house. I am going to have buyer clients in this scenario that I'm going to be, you know, trying to match with properties owned by Megacorp A, B, C, D, or E, right? And like, you know, those are the corps that will companies that are, will employ real estate agents in the future, essentially.
1: Well, but I think much like commercial real estate, no, it's not listing contracts of commercial real estate for most of it. There's a buyer, there's a brokerage agreement. It says you bring a buyer in and I will pay you X percent. So actually I think there could be more mom and pops because there could be more mom pops with contacts and things that frankly, if I have a, if I have a deal with Zillow, I'm, I'm one of their approved agents, okay? To say you have to get to be approved agents, I'm just picking on Zillow, but it could be Redfin, it could be Nock, it could be Blackstone, it could be open door, uh, it could be street Easy. I mean, so that's the number of companies that are doing this now, okay? So understand that. If I'm a registered or approved agent with them, that means they say, okay, anybody you bring to us that buys a property, you will get X dollars. Right. So you already have it and there's no competing for, listen, you're gonna go out and try to find the, the buyers is what you gotta do. And and same as you always do now trying to find, right now we have buyers, we just don't have sellers in this market, but that's not the case in many markets. I remember in, in, when I was in Detroit, we had 58,000 homes on the market at one time. Um, that was in the bank owned property. So I think that's a dramatic shift. I think that there's a place for everybody in that shift. I think it's going to change fundamentally the way we look at property because I still am not going to try to buy a property from one of the big companies I just mentioned on my own. Right? You know they're going to, and they're not going to try to do that on their own. Uh, one of them that I mentioned already has brokerages in eight different states. They have a brokers' license in eight different states right now. Okay, right now. I'm not talking about the future three. I said it's all going to happen within three years. They have it right now. So I see this happening. I see it coming down the line. I see clearly how realtors can make a play in this business, shifting, shifting their business. But you know what? And, and you make a couple comments, and I, Sorry, sorry, interrupting. But you know what? You know what it is? What do people want today? Speed, convenience, choice. They want it done now. I don't want to sit around. And and San Francisco is great. You have two weeks. you your probably in the market. You sell. That doesn't happen in other areas. Oh, they're dropping the price show you know, and whatever. I want it sold. I don't want to have people traipsing through my house while I'm living in it and coming home and finding boot prints everywhere and not knowing and somebody wore the cheapest perfume possible. My dog's now sick. Um, I don't want to find this kind of stuff. I want it sold. I don't want to be inconvenienced. And I want to have the choice of these fi- of offers that I can deal with. So it, the company will say, hey, we'll give you X number of dollars for it. There's your choice. Uh, we'll get it done for you in two weeks. There's the speed, and we'll do it right now. There's the convenience. So and when you look at what society wants today, other than instant gratification on everything, um, it is a speed, convenience choice. Whenever you can provide that, uh, you then have a market for something. Because more people want leisure time. They want to be able to go out and do stuff. And frankly... Here in
0: San Francisco, we just spend that time in traffic. Well, yeah. I
1: I try to get out of the office. If I I leave at 6 in the morning, I'm in my office at my desk at 6.30 every day. I try to leave at 4 o'clock. If I don't leave at 4, if I leave at 5, it takes me an hour and a half to get home. Same road, same 22 miles, hour and a half. And that's if somebody doesn't decide to pull off and wreck. (laughs) So that is... uh, that's probably enough to scare the wits out of a lot of people, but I can clearly see that coming. I was syndicating 1.4 million listings every 15 minutes when people didn't even know what syndication was. you know. So, I built that network. I sold. We sold the company for a lot, a lot of money. That doesn't even exist anymore. Now, there's all individual agreements. Now, I have data share agreements with more than 24 different IDX providers that we provide a data feed to directly from us. Now, Frankly, it was so much easier when the vendors got one data feed from point two. Now, if I'm running a business where I provide uh, IDX services, which is a website with you know, the searchability, well, I don't get the same data from, uh, from Barry's. I don't get the same data from Denver. I don't get the same data. And, oh, no, they, their BR is not bedroom, that's bathroom. And, uh, you know, I got to have ranch and groves. We don't have ranch and groves in San Francisco.
0: Or here's a great example. Like we have a tenancy in common property type that nobody else understands. And so you'll see them listed on any of the, the portals as
1: condos. And they're not. Come, Somebody says, how come you don't share data with us? I said, what's the TIC? What's the Act? How long after you do an LSAC removal can you then re-rent the property? If you do an OMI, what's the typical cost you have to pay a tenant? They said, well, we don't know those things. I said, why am I going to share data? All you're going to do is come in and mess up the deal. Um, and that's why San Francisco people are special, though, because they understand and know this stuff and have to understand other stuff.
0: I couldn't agree more. Obviously, um, this has been a great conversation. I have one final, incredibly important question for yeah. you.
1: Was I your favorite past president?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. You know why? Because you're not one of the past presidents come back and keep bugging me. <laughs> um, you know what? Good I, answer. I've had uh, I've had uh, 42 past presidents now and uh, learn something from everybody and it's uh the one thing we've been blessed with in san francisco is at least since i've been here and i'll take all the credit um (laughs) is an abundance of great people that want to go through and be president of the association and the other thing that's happened is the past presidents you've all become friends and it's like you're all from disparate world didn't even know each other before and they've all become friends the leadership here is tremendous It's an amazing group of people. If you look at the collection of people who have served as
0: uh, presidents of our association and gone on to do other things across the state or even the nation, I mean, uh, Vince Malta will be installed as the president for the National Association of Realtors. You know, he's a a past president. Um, It's an incredibly talented group of people. It is, and yeah,
1: we have two people past presidents that started uh, Aria, yeah, started Korea, You know, so uh, the legacy lives on through San Francisco and. We're going to keep trying to do more things and be innovative. And uh, who knows? We'll, uh, we'll see where things end up. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Oscar Out Loud is
0: a weekly podcast about San Francisco real estate from the Jackson Fuller team, San Francisco realtors since 2002. Show notes with links are at jacksonfuller.com.